So instead of a normal intro, Hannah and I have decided that we would like to update um, some things about the release of this episode. Yes. Great. Um, so, <laughs> so the first thing is that this actually was recorded in August of 2022. So exactly a year ago essentially and the reason for that is we initially planned for this to come out in 2022 and then that did not happen it's coming out now yeah better late than never better late than never but anyway so if things don't seem up to date like if we're discussing things and it seems like not relevant that's why yeah uh main reason why we have this little precursor is Due to the writer's strike ongoing. And actor's strike. Yes, and actor's strike. Um, we thought it was important to point out that this was all recorded over a year ago. A year ago, not over a year ago. Because we do mention Disney. We mention, um, obviously, Studio Ghibli doesn't fall under the writer's strike, actor strike, because it's not American uh, created. company. Created, yeah. yeah. Um, but we do mention Disney and other things, so we wanted to point out that this was all recorded ahead of time. Um, currently, we're not mentioning names of films and movies on our episodes, or we're holding off recording stuff. Right. Things, so, yes. that, things that fall under the, the actors and writing right. strike. Yes. So we would just like to put that note out there uh, that we are not supporting companies, and we support the writers and actors and actresses. Yes. Correct. Yes. And then the last thing we wanted to note is that um, unlike Pixar, which, where we did, we released one episode every week until we did our ranking. We're going to not be doing that with um, these episodes. We will be releasing them periodically um, until we are done with all of the films. So don't expect these to all come out in order. There will be multiple parts, though. Yeah, uh, multiple parts, and we'll put them out throughout the year. Um, it might things might change depending on how long the strike goes on right. and if what content we're able to release. Um, so, but they'll come out throughout the year and potentially into next year. Right. Yeah. So we don't want to commit to a specific time frame because we may have to shift around our schedule. So, right. Keep that in mind. But yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, enjoy the episode. Sit back. Relax. Enjoy. Welcome. This is Research Rank Repeat. I'm one of your co-hosts, Alyssa. This is co-host Hannah. And today, we are finally ready for something that has been in the works since before we started this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, as many of you are well aware, we started this podcast watching and ranking every single Pixar movie that was currently out. And as we were doing Pixar, I made a comment to Hannah that I wanted to do Studio Ghibli or Studio Ghibli. It can be pronounced either way, however you prefer. And so now, two years later, we are here. <laughs> Hold 
on. Ooh. Yeah, this is our... Since... Like, we haven't done a thing this big since Pixar. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because it's two years later, and I feel like, in a lot of ways, we're set up a lot better because we know to not try to record huge chunks at once. We know how to do that whole setup. And I think we're giving ourselves adequate time. But I'm excited because this is a series that in some ways I'm familiar with. Some of these movies we watched as kids. I've seen them multiple times. And then there's some of these movies I've never seen at all. So I think it's going to be interesting to go through. I'm excited. Yeah. I have a lot of appreciation and respect for this genre and these movies and like the the filmmaking, the cinematography, the um, soundtracks, like everything like that. Yeah, the creativity, artistic talents. Right. So yeah, I'm excited. I, I agree, Hannah. I think we've learned a lot since we did Pixar in terms of, well, editing for one, how to separate things out because it took us like four months to fucking edit Pixar. It was miserable. <laughs> Um, and the recording was miserable. Oh, you see that little cattail behind me? I do me? see a cattail. Oh, uh, there's a little mishmish behind me. He threw up on my floor today. Oh. He ate plastic and then threw it up. Love and I that. was like, well, why did you eat plastic? It was your, it was his fault, you know? <laughs> I mean, he's fine now. He's running around, so it's just the plastic. But anyway, uh, Ghibli, Studio Ghibli. To my understanding, both are allowed pronunciations. Like, there's not a very one specific one. For the sake of myself, I'm going to stay, I'm going to say Studio Ghibli because mm-hmm. Ghibli is going to fuck up. I'm going to fuck up so many times if I have to say Ghibli. Uh, if someone has a problem with that, uh, sorry, I don't give a shit. But yes, yeah, so we are doing every single animated movie from Studio Ghibli um, with a caveat because technically we're not doing every single one we are doing every single one that's considered part of their like collection this includes tv a tv movie this includes um, movies that were under different licenses and this includes a 3d movie which was the newest release that came out i think two years ago (laughs) look at him he's eating plastic oh my god all right one minute he's eating plastic mishmish why are you eating plastic I apologize for the outburst that uh, has just occurred. A, a cat of um, my roommate's cat has decided to just start eating plastic, was chewing on a plastic bag full of coins behind me. I don't remember what I was talking about. Do you remember what I was talking about? Um, oh, so we also skipped. Um, Studio Ghibli did a collaboration with a Dutch um, animator. And we are not doing that movie because technically it wasn't under their name. Um, it wasn't, like, under their umbrella. They just did work for this man. Totals out to 23 movies. One more than Pixar. But yeah, Hannah, why don't we just, like, give a little brief overview of our history with the company um, and okay. its movies. If you would like okay. to just give a little bit of what you remember from a young age, I can then fill in some gaps. Yeah. So... I know for sure there were a couple of these movies that I remember watching multiple times as kids. I remember we had Spirited Away on VHS because I remember the black box and I remember like that was a movie we watched a lot. I remember watching a couple of the movies. I'd say there's probably three or four that I know for sure we watched more than once. 
obviously in terms of like Pixar, like not nearly as much history with it because I feel like there's a lot of movies that maybe I watched and don't really remember or a lot of movies that we just never saw. I think part of it is that like some of the movies availability in the U.S. hasn't always been that accessible as like Pixar Disney would be. And so I think that made it a little bit more difficult. But yeah, I mean, I feel like those movies were kind of our, like, Pokemon, stuff like that, were kind of our introduction to, like, Japanese, like, anime, animation, Mm -hmm. sort of, to speak. And a lot of the movies we watched, I'm pretty sure, were in English, were, like, the English versions. Um, We didn't watch, like, the Japanese with the English, like, translations at the bottom. I just don't think those were, like, available to us. No. I have memories of some of these movies and specifically one of them that I watched for this first chunk I was like I remember a lot of this movie but for the most part I feel like I'm going into this a little bit blind in some ways because even some of these movies that I know I've seen it's been so long that I don't really remember a lot and as with Pixar it's interesting to watch these movies as an adult because you pick up on a lot that you don't pick up on when you're a kid right yeah, um, so Hannah's right. So we actually used to rent some of these movies from Blockbuster. Um, good old Blockbuster, if you remember that back in the day, where you'd go and rent movies. And Hannah is right that a lot of the times back in like the 90s and like early 2000s, you couldn't find things in like, like for instance, Japanese things, you couldn't find them subbed like with like English subtitles, like in Japanese English subtitles. Everything we got was dubbed in English, whether that be Pokemon, whether that be Sailor Moon, um, Yu-Gi-Oh, we watched Yu-Gi-Oh, or um, Studio Ghibli movies. And so we had a few of these, especially a lot of these ones that we're going to be covering in the first few that we watched as kids. Castle in the Sky, My Neighbor Totoro, uh, Spirited Away, which we had on VHS, also Kiki's Delivery Service. Mm -hmm. I think those were a core group of movies that we had seen multiple times and rented multiple times. Uh, There's a few movies, at least that I have seen independently. I remember watching Howl's Movie Castle at a sleepover when I was in middle school. We rented um, Princess Mononoke from the library. I had watched Grave of of the Fireflies prior to this. Um, So there's a few of these movies that I've seen once or twice there's a few of these i've seen multiple times and then there's over half of them that i've never seen um i know of them and i've like seen things from them but i've never seen the full movie so this is going to be really interesting just to let you know that we are recording this in chunks so at the time we're recording this i've only seen six of the movies it's interesting like with Pixar, to revisit things, but also to um, come to them with an adult or like a different mindset than when you were a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of these movies have very heavy themes. They can, yes. Some of the early movies that we've watched in these like first five do. And when you're a kid, a lot of times you don't realize that. Right. You, You you don't focus on that. And so I think that's kind of why it's interesting, I think, to revisit is because even a movie like Kiki's Delivery Service that I know I've seen before, I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> like I never noticed certain elements of it. And so 
I find it interesting and I think like there's always this theme throughout these movies of like some of them are a bit more not like positive but like a bit more like lighthearted lighthearted and then some of them are like pretty heavy um which we'll talk about but yeah I think that I'm excited. I think the ranking's going to be really hard because I'm already having a hard time with five movies. Yeah, I agree. I so, agree. So, like Pixar, it's going to be hard. But yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So, are you ready to get into some background, Hannah? Yes. All right. So, I have a lot of background. I'm just going to let you know. Although, unlike Pixar, I have it organized now. Remember, Hannah, when we recorded the Pixar <laughs> background, it went on for over 30 minutes. And we forgot things and we didn't write things down. We also sat on the floor. In our parents, we sat in our parents' bedroom on the floor next to each other. Next to each other. We didn't even look at each other. Yeah, we didn't didn't look look at at each each other. other. We just sat next to each other. With a little microphone in the middle. (laughs) And we sat by a treadmill and we had pillows on the ground and my ass hurt. So we had to get up partway through to take a break because we recorded for like four hours. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah, but yeah, so we're definitely more organized. Let's start. So, um, Studio Ghibli Incorporated Animated Film Studio is based in Tokyo. It is best known for animated feature films, but they have done shorts, commercials, and TV movies as well. Um, The mascot of the company is Totoro um, from the film My Neighbor Totoro, which is a, um, giant cat-like spirit, um, so basically a big fluffy cat, which makes sense and works. It's like the equivalent of Mickey Mouse for Disney. Let's get into the history. So how did Studio Ghibli come to be? And I know I said I was gonna call it Studio Ghibli, but I'm already mixing back and forth and whatever. We're just gonna go with whatever comes out of my mouth. So, Where we start is Topcraft Studios. Um, This studio was founded in 1971 by Toru Hara, a company that worked with um, the animated Rankin Bass Productions, which did a lot of U.S. um, TV shows. I think it did, like, the Transformers TV show, like, a lot of, like, the 70s and 80s television shows. So this studio produced Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, which was released in 1984. And this is actually the first movie we will be we will be covering is Nausicaa. Um, as technically it was produced, created, written, and directed by the people who would form Studio Ghibli. So it's considered like the spiritual start of the company. Topcraft Studios produced this movie and released it in 1984. And they went bankrupt in 1985. So this company dissolved and split the studio into two parts. So first part, we have um, Hayao Miyazaki, Toshio Suzuki, and Iso Takahata. And I apologize if my um, pronunciation of these Japanese names is abysmal. As we all know, my pronunciations are terrible. So those three founded Studio Ghibli with Toru Hara, who was the founder of Topcraft Studios, came in as their manager of the company. The other half of the studio formed Pacific Animation Corporation, which created TV shows um, such as Thundercats for the United States. And this company was actually absorbed by Studio Ghibli once they were bought by Disney. And we'll talk about that a bit later. The mouse strikes again, as I wrote. (laughs) Disney always shows up everywhere, as it did for Pixar, also involved in this. So... That company would become Walt Disney Animation Japan, 
And so some of those animators from that studio would leave to go work for Studio Perot, which, as we've discussed, was the studio that did Legend of Korra. So everything's interconnected. Let's go back to the formation of Studio Ghibli. So it was founded on June 15th, 1985. So it was headed by four people, as I mentioned. We have um, two directors, Hayao Miyazaki and Iso Takahata. They both had very long careers in animation, and they had worked together on a few films, including Adventures of Horus, Prince of the Sun in 1968, and the films Panda and Go Panda in 1972-1973. So they already had a history of working together. Another person who joined them was producer Toshio Suzuki, who had been an editor at Tokuma Shoten's Animage Manga Magazine. In this role, he chose the film Horus as the first film to like be published through that company. Produced a review of that, essentially. So all, all of these people worked together on Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, including composer Joe Hihashi. Hihashi? I think it's Hihashi. I think it's Hisashi. Hold on. Joe Hiyasashi? Hiyasashi. Joe Hiyasashi. I think it's Hiyasashi. Um, Including composer Joe Hiyasashi, who would go on to compose a majority of the Studio Ghibli films. This was his first collaboration with Hayao Miyazaki. And it was also the first collaboration with with a very frequent collaborator, um, Michigo Yasuda, who was a color designer of Nausicaa and then would go on to lead the department at Studio Ghibli until her retirement. And she actually died in 2016, but is seen as like a really influential person in terms of coloration and design. So she was seen as a really influential at the start and throughout. So just wanted to shout out her as well, because we want to give women representation where we can. Majority of films produced by this company are um, directed by Miyazaki. Takahata also does a fair substantial amount of directing, but less than Miyazaki does. And they also have collaborated with other directors, including Miyazaki's son, Goro Miyazaki, who has directed a few movies as well. The name Ghibli, or Ghibli, actually comes from the Italian noun Ghibli. The origin is from the Libyan Arabic name for hot desert wind. The studio would, quote, blow new wind through the anime industry. So I thought that was a very creative name um, and choice for the company name. So in 1996... The studio had a partnership with Disney. Basically, they would act as the international distributor of their films. They would have 10% of the production costs, and they would be responsible for English dubs of their films. So three of the films had actually been previously dubbed by other companies, but these would receive new dubs under Disney. They actually were um, not thrilled with... the original um, dub of Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind, due to some of the cuts and changes made. So they were very particular about how they wanted their movies to be represented in other languages. So they also, throughout time, have had a very close partnership with the magazine Animage, which was the origin of the producer Toshio Suzuki. They would run exclusive articles on the studio 
And the television movie Ocean Waves, which we will cover later, was adapted from a novel run through the magazine. The studio has a very strict no edits policy in licensing agreements due to the way that the Nausicaa film was heavily edited for the U.S. release and it was actually renamed to Warriors of the Wind and they was very heavily edited and they were really really upset with that so in the future they were very very particular about how other studios would handle those releases and actually this was even more highlighted due to someone at the a chairman of Miramax by the name of Harvey Weinstein you know, someone we, we can acknowledge and um, pretend doesn't exist as a piece of shit human being, wanted to edit the film Princess Mononoke for marketing purposes because he didn't think that it would translate well to an American audience. Now, apparently, this is a rumor. It is not proven to be true, but it is rumored that a producer from Studio Ghibli sent Miramax a sword with the message, no cuts. <laughs> okay. That they were like, no, we're not, you can't make any cuts, like, we won't allow it. So they have a very strict no-cuts policy. And what a baller move to just literally send a samurai sword with the message, no cuts. Like, if it's true, which I hope it is, I, you know, props to them, because I'm pretty cool with them just being like, fuck you. Yeah. Anyways, so... From 1999 to 2005, Studio Ghibli was a subsidiary of Tokuma uh, Shoten, and then after 2005, they became independent. And, I mean, in collaboration with Disney, but as an independent studio. So in 2008, Toshio Suzuki stepped down as the president to serve as a producer um, within the company because he wanted to be more directly involved with the movie-making process. So he was replaced by the previous president, of Walt Disney Japan, Koji Hoshino, who is still acting as president, um, as far as I could tell from the research that I did. Um, Also, most of this I found through our favorite website, Wikipedia, but I also found some through some subsidiary websites as well. Hayao Miyazaki has retired several times, has said that he's retired and then is like, just kidding, I'm making a new movie. So in 2013, he claimed to be retiring for good, but he is currently working on a new film as of 2017. So there's that. In 2014, after he announced his retirement, the studio temporarily suspended production as they weren't sure what exactly was going to happen with the studio following his retirement. But, you know, then he said, just JK, jokes on you, I'm back. So they're, they're running again. In October of 2001, um, the Ghibli Museum opened in Mitaka, Tokyo. They have um, shorts that have like not been seen by international audiences. They have special films created just for the museum. So it's basically just a, a museum of everything. They probably have the cat bus there. Uh, all great stuff. So um, initially, the studio was not interested in streaming services. However, they ultimately decided to, in 2019, and they gave their rights to HBO Max, who currently holds the rights to majority of their movies, with a little caveat, because they don't have every single one, but they have a majority. So, let's talk about what the general, like, themes and styles are within these movies. Some of the inspirations that Miyazaki and Takahata and others have found are through the Japanese artist 
Sanpei Shirato, Osiamu Tezuka, um, the Western authors of Frederick Bach, Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland, um, Roald Dahl, and also specific works related to um, the movie's Animal Farm, the adaptation of the book Animal Farm, and the movie The Snow Queen are seen as very heavy inspirations for the artists of this studio. The themes and styles are majority of these movies, all of them except for like one, are 2D animated. Uh, they are intricate watercolor and acrylic. Um, vivid colors are very commonly seen in these films. A lot of the recurring themes are risks to tradition by progress being made in terms of like technological progress and societal progress. Environmentalism and the natural world, independent female protagonists are very heavily displayed in these films. Costs of war, youth, pacifism. A lot of these films have a very whimsical and joyful aesthetic. Um, a lot of them are very much a coming-of-age story for a younger child or teenager who is the main character, and they also feature a lot of thematic elements of love and the importance of family. I would just like to personally say that Miyazaki is, like, maybe one of the best writers of young female protagonists of like any genre just in his ability to give such characteristic to young women and make them relatable but also make them attainable to all audiences like it's mm -hmm. not just written to be like I feel like for a lot of people unfortunately you see a character who's, you know, a young woman, and it's like, oh, this is for women. Like, this is for young girls. Whereas, like, I feel like his films are very much geared towards all audiences, and the main character just happens to be a, a young woman. So right. I really appreciate that. Has always really stood out to me in general. The net income of the studio is 1.426 billion yen as of 2021, and its assets are equal to 15.77 billion yen. Now, I don't know the conversion from yen to the US dollar, but you can imagine that it's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Its highest grossing films include um, Spirited Away, ha Howl's Moving Castle, and Ponyo. Five films, including those three, are in the 10 highest grossing anime feature films in Japan in, of all time. So Spirited Away is number two on that list behind the movie. It's called Demon Slayer the Movie, which was made in 2020, is currently the highest grossing anime in Japan. And four of the 10 highest grossing animated anime movies worldwide. Um, so these films have won many awards. They've won many Animage Grand Prix Awards, which are awarded by the magazine that they have in collaboration with. They have four wins for Japan Academy Prize for Animation of the Year. They have five Academy Award nominations. Um, one win for Spirited Away, which won the Academy Award for Best Animated Film in 2002. They have one Golden Bear Award, which was also for Spirited Away. And they have two wins for the National Academy Award for Best Picture, which um, at this time, there did not exist an animated category. So these films won before there was an animated category. These being um, Princess Mononoke being the first film to win that award. They also had the highest grossing films in Japan in 1989, 1991, 92, 94, 95, 2002, 2008, 
2010 and 2013. So clearly they have a very high respect and garner a lot of profit in the Japanese market. So now we will cover impact. And this is really the last category I have. It had an impact on the way that animated films were seen internationally. It made them, they're not just for children, they can be for a broad audience. And especially this was seen when the film Spirited Away came out. It was seen as like this, clearly winning an Academy Award for a foreign film is already not very common. But having be an animated Japanese film, I feel like really opened the market in the United States as well as uh, other countries internationally. Hayao Miyazaki is seen as um, the godfather of animation in Japan in terms of his craftsmanship themes and inspiration to younger artists. He is often considered one of the greatest animators of all time, along with Walt Disney and Osamu Tezuka. He has influenced a, a wide number of artists and animators and directors and, you know, people involved in film and media. Just to name a few of the noteworthy ones, these include um, people such as Wes Anderson, James Cameron, Guillermo del Toro, Pete Docter from Pixar, Bong Joon-ho, who did Parasite, Steven Spielberg. And Studio Ghibli also had a very huge impact on how Disney ran their animated studios department in 1990 and onward. This is often seen as the beginning of the Disney Renaissance or the golden age of Disney as they were seeing themselves as directly competing with the studio. Um, These includes movies such as Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, amongst others, Little Mermaid that are seen as like really really like top tier Disney movies. The studio is also seen as an influence on a lot of video games. Shigeru Miyamoto, who is the, I think he's like the president of Nintendo, he um, cites the studio as a huge influence on a lot of their games, including like Legend of Zelda and like Mario. And it was also a huge influence on um, Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, um, which we have covered on this podcast. So that is my background. And we will do just like slightly more background on the actual movies as we go along. And I think Hannah um, is covering our first film. Yes. And I might pronounce it different than you, but I just took the pronunciation from the movie because I watched it in Japanese. That's fair. So it's Naushka of the Valley of the Wind is the first movie. It was released in 1984. Rated pg Runtime of an hour and 58 minutes, had an 8.10 on IMDb, an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, and an 86 out of 100 on Metacritic. In the box office, it had $14.3 million. So it was written and directed by Miyazaki, and it's based on his 1982 manga. Joe Hishashi. Hishashi? I think it's Hishashi. Hishashi. Um, who I love, absolutely love. Great composer. Yeah. Excellent composer. I listened to his music. I used to, that was like my study, go-to study music. Yep. His stuff. Um, so that was his first collab, which I think you mentioned. His first collab with Miyazaki, certainly not his last. Uh, certainly not. He composed the score for this movie. So it was released in Japan in 1984, released in the U.S. in 1985. And it was made before Studio Ghibli was founded, but is often considered a Ghibli work. 
Uh, film did receive critical acclaim. It was praised for strong, or sorry, praised for the story, the themes, the characters, and animation. And it is the highest ranked Japanese anime in a survey published by Japan's Agency for Cultural Affairs in 2007. In 2005, Disney released an English dub of the film. So the director of the film made his credited... (laughs) That's not been the first time that's happened. Nope. Probably won't be the last. (laughs) No. Made his credited directorial debut in 1979. So it was the castle of... I think it's Castillo. Castillo? Okay. I think. Sorry, it's like Lupin the Third or something is the yeah. name of it. Yeah. Um. So it was not a box office success. <laughs> Hold on, let me try that again. It was not a box office success, but it did caught. <laughs> but it caught the attention of uh, a magazine called Shoten Animage Manga. Yeah, it's just called Animage. I think. Animage. Yeah. So this led to the creation of the manga. The film is based off off of oh my god Ooh. okay so it was um created in 1981 and it quickly became the magazine's most popular feature so the production schedule of this movie was only nine months which is and insane. the budget yeah that's crazy and the budget was equivalent to a million u.s dollars in 1985 manson international produced a 95 minute english dub adaptation of this film Like Alyssa said, it was titled Warriors of the Wind. Uh, The voice actors and actresses were not even credited for this movie, and they were not informed of the film's plotline and changes made. Uh, Film was heavily edited to market it as a children's action-adventure film. The main problem was that it lost most of its narrative, and some of the environmental themes were lost. Uh, Characters' names were changed. The U.S. poster and the U.S. VHS cover featured a male character who's not even in the film. And um, approximately 22 minutes of scenes were cut from this version. Which is crazy. Yeah. 22 minutes? Yes. And like Alyssa said, because of this, Miyazaki adopted a strict no edits clause for further foreign releases of um, those companies' films. And summaries. We have not written our own summaries because it was a lot to do, and yes. we just took the ones that are off of HBO. Yes. Minus one film where I had to get I had to get it from a different source, but right. yeah. Okay, summary. <clears throat> After a devastating world war, the Valley of the Wind is one of the last places untouched by the toxic aftermath. Naushka fights to restore balance between humans and nature as others seek the destructive power that once ravaged the earth. I've never seen this film. I have not either. As Studio Ghibli is a Japanese company, what I have decided is that movies that I have seen before I'm watching in Japanese and movies that I'm seeing for the first time I am watching in English. So this one I watched in English. Shia LaBeouf's in this movie which love that, you know, an actual cannibal, Um, and Patrick Stewart, which we also love that too. In the English version, it's pronounced Nausicaa, so... Okay. Just just so you're aware, yes. Because I watched the Japanese version, and it was Naushka, so that's that's where the variation comes in. Right. Mm -hmm. I really didn't know anything about it, and I 
kind of loved how they did an environmental themed movie in the 80s when like no one really gave a shit about the environment. To be fair, 1970 is when um, Earth Day started. So technically that was like the 70s is when environmentalism started to begin. Right, but you didn't see it a lot in, like, film. No, and that's true. Yes. In TV. Um, so I think, especially for, like, a kid's movie, it's interesting to do that theme. I mean, we've seen, like, Wally, Like, we've seen movies now do that theme. Right. I will just say The Ohm. When I first saw it, I was like, I, I don't think I can watch this movie because, like, the tiny holes and, like, the things, like, freak, freak me out. Yeah, that's right. You don't like tiny holes. Yeah. And I was really, like... Like, I didn't, I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to watch this movie. I got past it. But, um. I really like how it has, starts with this, like, very Western feel. Like, Wild West. Like, you've got these, like, abandoned towns that are being, like, overrun by these, like, toxic rainforests. Um, and you've got this main character who's almost like, like a research scientist. She's collecting these, like, toxic spores to study. And right from the beginning, he has created this, like, very spirited, distinct character in Nausicaa. Um, that you understand, understand how she is right away. Within the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Like, you have Mm -hmm. a very clear picture of who she is and what she stands for. I like that you can almost see how this influences so many other things. Like, she is a lot like the Avatar. Mm -hmm. In her, like, spiritual guiding of these ohm, of these insects, um, in a way similar to the Avatar guiding spirits. Like, a bridge between two worlds. I like that she is violent. Like, she fucking kills people. And then feels so guilty about it because they killed her dad. Dad's, like, a leader. So she, like, has to cooperate with these people coming to um, take over their space. And I really, really liked her as a character. And I really liked a lot of the things about this movie. There's very few things that I disliked. I have a few comments on things like towards the end, but we can get to that a little later. But um, yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised by how much I liked this film, I will say. Yeah, I agree with like the Avatar, like Legend of Korra gave me like those vibes. It it gave me very like Kuvera vibes with the um, enemy, the villain. Mm -hmm. I agree, though. I think that it was surprising because I didn't know how it would how it would feel about the movie. Um, I think that I liked it because the environmental aspect was always there, but it didn't like hit you over the head with it. It was just part of the movie. I felt like the A and B plots really worked, which a lot of times that's my critique about a movie is the B plot side plot is just like, no one cares about it. Right. Felt like the side characters were strong. I thought, like, the the villains were very strong as the well. The villains were actually good villains. And very intriguing. Like, it wasn't that they just had this drive to... It was like they were just evil. Like, they had other motives. Mm-hmm. The impacts of war and how that affects people. Right. I think was also very um, important as well. Yeah, and at times it was really heavy. Like, there's obviously very real... It, it felt very real because some of this stuff is stuff that obviously happens and so in that way it felt real and also like her dad gets murdered and 
there's like consequences in the movie mm-hmm. and I think if if anything my critique would be that the ending felt a little bit like rushed almost. Yeah. The last like couple minutes were just like the ending was jarring. Yeah. Like I was like, "Whoa, it's over." You get to this end really dramatic climactic moment. She's getting fucking beat up and shot and like, you know, acid attack has this moment with the ohm and comes as this like um prophesized savior this prophesized man who comes to save the world it's not a man it's a woman which you know it was not cliche at the time because this was the 80s you know so like i wasn't bothered by that but ending is super jarring also the um the old woman was voiced by the voice actress who's the voice of hama the bloodbender in avatar the last airbender just to kind of connect that together I will say, Hannah, you know this about me. I hate children singing. And there is a very, like, important climactic scene that features a chorus of children singing. And I hated it. But the scene was good, but I hated the singing. And I was like, if only there was no singing, this would have been an amazing scene for me. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I think, too, like, it's a children's movie, but it almost would have felt... I almost wish she would have actually died at the end. Yeah, I I get it. But it's like, you set up the story to have a prophesized savior. It would probably be more poignant if she did die. Right. But I understand why she is resurrected or reborn, right. you know, as the savior. Yeah. I, I think sometimes that it's almost like you know... They're not going to die because they never do that. And I think having that end that way would have maybe made it felt a little bit more like, oh. Right. Like, but I get it. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, it is, like, a kid's movie. So I get it. Technically, and yeah. Technically a kid's movie. But I don't know. I, I thought the movie, like, overall as a whole, like, obviously the animation was beautiful. The music always mixes in well oh, always amazing um but yeah i was definitely as like a movie to start out the whole series um we talk about how like toy story you know the first movie of pixar like has to be a good movie to get people to yes. want to keep watching and technically it's not the first studio ghibli because it was before studio ghibli but but yeah i think it's a strong start because you can see a lot of the elements of those films is present in this movie that you see in future movies so as we go along the style starts to come together as well um a lot of the stylistic choices i think it was a good movie uh and like i was happy with it i wasn't there wasn't much i had to complain about minus the end which we talked about yeah i think that was the main issue for me was the ending but yeah besides that i was good with it yeah yeah, so we want to go over our favorites. Yeah, so we're doing um, favorite character, favorite line, or scene, like always. And then for this one, we're doing our favorite just Ghibli moment. Right. Um, and that can be an incorporation of whatever you would like, that you feel like incorporates the spirit, the whimsical, the essence of the studio. Um, my favorite character, I went with Naushka. Yeah. I love a good, strong female lead. Me too. Um, She murdered people. She had emotion. She had depth. And she yeah. was intriguing. Yeah. Um, I like that she, her father is sick. He is dying. And she has this secret underground botany 
garden where she's growing these spores and like they are clean like they are not toxic when she's running them with like clean water and stuff and is like has this like thing she's doing on the side as well as being a leader like she surrenders her city because she knows they'll all be murdered if you know she doesn't comply and she's willing to go as a hostage and like do all these things um and is like strong with like her convictions and will which is i think why she is saved in the end yeah. <laughs> so for my favorite line, this one is pure humor because I could not get over. She's like a seer, fortune teller, like wise elder of the village. Her name's um, Ubaba. And there's a point where she's talking and one of the, the army men who comes to take over, he just goes, silence you old hag. We will have none of your raving. <laughs> And just the way that came out made me laugh so much. And I was like, that is ridiculous, but I love it. I'm here for it. So I had to choose that line as my favorite line. Yeah. Um, favorite line, I went with, I can't remember what his name was, but he was like basically like the advisor to the, anyways, but he, um, he, at one point he's like, he's talking about the, what was the main villain's name? I can't remember what her name oh, is. Oh shoot, I cannot remember. There's so many characters' names. The Kavira, the Kavira-esque yeah. woman with with the fake arm. I think um, her name is Kush Kushana. Okay. Anyway, she gets captured and she's like gone for a while, and he sees her and he's like, "She survived. So much for my dreams." And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, that's like it was like the hu- the way he delivered it too. Yeah, good humor." Um, I didn't do a favorite scene like my favorite scene was my ghibli moment so i just incorporated it into that but did you have a favorite scene besides the ghibli moment yes i really liked that end scene where the ohm are like surrounding her and there's all this light and like she's being illuminated in this golden field the music is swelling and waldo i hated the children singing i did like the end scene just before the really jarring epilogue um i thought that was very powerful so i picked that one uh, my favorite Ghibli moment, there was initial scene beneath the Sea of Decay. It was, like, really cool because, like, the music came in and the visuals, they just blended so well together. And, like, I love how they use the music to, like, tell the story. There wasn't much talking during that scene, but I really loved it. And um, that was, like, I kind of got chills a little bit. I picked the exact same scene. It's after she falls through this, like, sand pit to, like, below where these trees are fossilized. Um, and she's just exploring the area and there's no dialogue. It's just the music and the visuals. And I thought, I agree, I thought it was really, really impactful and was really compelling. I thought it worked really well. Like, we didn't need dialogue to understand what that meant. Mm -hmm. That the world can be saved kind of-esque deal. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked it. Yes. So our second movie we are covering is called um, Laputa, Castle in the Sky. Um, I would just like to point out that I am not saying a swear word in Spanish, although they had to change the name of it for the international releases in Spanish-speaking countries because Laputa is the word for, um, like, whore-esque in Spanish. Just putting it out there (laughs) in case you were curious. Did not know that, but that's good to know. So, um... This film was released in 1986. It's rated PG and it has a runtime of two hours and four minutes. It was written and directed by uh, Miyazaki with music also by Joe Hishashi. <laughs> Hisashi? I think, let, me, let me just look because this is going to bother me. Fun. Joe Hisashi. Hisashi? Hisashi? 
Okay, there we go. So the film was written and directed by um, Miyazaki with music by Joe Hisaishi. Um, so this film had a 500 million yen budget and it made 1.6 billion in the box office. At the time this was made, it was the most expensive anime film anime film to be and it's the first film to be under the Studio Ghibli name. Its total current worldwide box office numbers are $16,065,703 total um, over its entire lifetime. So the film draws inspiration from the film Future Boy Conan that was released in um, 1978. It was an earlier manga that Miyazaki made. He also got a lot of inspiration from a Welsh mining town that he visited, as well as um, Babylonian and Egyptian culture and history. The technology is um, considered very steampunk-esque in this movie, and it, it is influenced many other works beyond that. It is seen as like the one of the pivotal steampunk um, films, which would influence like even the works of like Legend of Korra. So the word Laputa actually comes from the um, book Gulliver's Travels. They actually mention Gulliver's Travels in the movie as well. So there were actually two English dubs. This is one of the films that was redubbed by Disney later on. The original one was done by Streamline, which was seen as, eh, you know, it wasn't super great. And then Disney did one that was released in 2003, although it was recorded in 1988. So it took five years for it to be released. I think there were some issues with, like, licensings and things like that. And so um, the movie has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 78 out of 100 on Metacritic. It is routinely ranked as one of the best anime productions of all time. Um, it received the Manchi Film Award, Best Anime for Anime Grand Prix, Best Design Award. It is huge in Japanese pop culture for the diesel steampunk. It is actually also the most tweeted moment on Twitter during 2013 airing um, of this movie when the word ballas was spoken in the film people retweeted it and it was retweeted with 143,199 tweets per second to be the most tweeted moment <laughs> which is crazy yeah this would influence a lot of major works including um the anime full metal alchemist the future movie from the studio house moving castle atlantis the lost empire from disney wally -E, up um, several video games, including Final Fantasy and the Mega Man franchise. And so now I have a summary. A young girl with a mysterious pendant falls out of the sky and into the life of young Pazu. Together, they search for an island in the sky, site of the civilization promising enormous wealth and power to those who can unlock its secrets. So I watched this one in Japanese. I did as well. Okay. As I've seen this one several times, but I have not seen it super recently. 
I think mm-hmm. I rewatched it in maybe like college, so within the last ten years, but um, I'm not super super familiar with it. But it was weird, Hannah, because there were very specific moments where I had like a brain blast where I was like, oh my god, I remember this moment. I have a very specific memory of liking a certain thing or remembering a very specific thing. So like this is certainly one that remembered watching as a child and remember really liking as a child. Yeah, I have not seen this since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I know that for a fact. And I was like you. There was like one or two specific scenes where I was like, oh, wow. Like, I remember that. Can I ask what the scenes are? Because I want to know if they're the same. Um, Well, the first one was the... I don't know if it was just like the robot stone men in general. Okay. But I remember like when I saw that, I like very much remembered it. Yeah. And then... A scene, I don't even remember specifically what it was, but it was with the granny pirate. Okay. Like, her flying, like, something about that, like, I remembered. Can I tell you what the scene is that I have a very specific memory of? So, there's this part where Pazu is um, trying to get, they're up in the castle in the sky, and he's trying to reach um, Sheeta. And he's climbing, running up this tunnel with the bare feet. And he's sprinting up this tunnel. And Hannah, we used to run up slides barefoot, replicating this. Do you remember? Yes. Like, does yes. This, is this coming to you? I, do I don't know that. why I had this very specific memory, but I'm watching him run up this tunnel and I'm like, oh my God, we would try to run up slides. Like, we'd go to playgrounds and replicate this because we wanted to run up like a tunnel like him. And that's like the thing I remembered the most. Like, I was, it had like a weird like memory that I unlocked in my brain. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, it's weird. It's, like, weird what you remember, like, specifically. Yeah. Um, I, I love this movie. It's lovely. It's a lovely movie. It's incredibly heartwarming. It's incredibly entertaining. I was very engaged. I was very, like, drawn into what was happening I think the story's told really well. I think the characters are really well done. Mm-hmm. I think the two main characters, like... They play off each other so well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so innocent and, like, it's a fun movie. Like, it just... I don't know. Like, a lot about it I really enjoyed. Yeah. And I didn't remember a lot about it from when I was a kid. But I remember when I said during Pixar... That I was glad that we watched Pixar so I could watch Cars 3. Yeah. And I felt that way about this movie. I already know this is a movie that I'm going to go back and rewatch, like, probably next year or within this year. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I really, really liked a lot about this movie. Yeah, I, like, completely understand why this is regarded as, one, incredibly influential on so many things, but also, like, one of the most considered one of the best animated films i love the pirates like Mm -hmm. i love this idea that there's all these different groups that are trying to reach this castle in the sky even though they're bad they're great they are such great characters and like genuinely care for these children yeah um even if they're like you know wanted by the police and robbing people and like shooting people and stuff like that it's sort of like that um 
like enemy of your enemy is your friend right sort of deal at the beginning and then it evolves i like this idea that you have this castle in the sky that had this ultimate superior power and yet fell to ruin it's abandoned the people have left and it i like that the end lesson is that if something is collapsed it it collapsed for a reason and it shouldn't Mm -hmm be revisited and it you've got this um villain who although i don't think is as developed as the villain from um nausicaa yeah he still is intriguing in that there's this like mystery element to him the reveal at the you know at the very end of the movie that he's a descendant as well like same as Sheeta, he's also a descendant yeah. And this is his motivation. This is why he's trying to get there is because he also has the same origin as her. And they in, in some way are related. And like the influence, I didn't mention this in my background, but um, Miyazaki has a huge, is hugely influenced by the sky and aircraft. His father worked for a flight company. I think he designed planes, if I'm remembering correctly. So he's always had a fascination with flight. A lot of his works involve some form of flight, whether it be um, airships, planes, broomsticks, you know, there's a lot of flying that occurs and is a reoccurring theme in his films. Dola, the, the pirate, baddest bitch with a heart of gold. <laughs> yeah. I love her. I can't believe a man shot off a girl's braids. Like, what's yeah. wrong with you? First of all, you don't shoot off a girl's hair. Second of all, the, the marksman aim required to shoot off two pigtails, right. two braided pigtails is incredible. So like props to this man has good gun control. So at least we respect that, you know? But I really, really liked the movie. It's really endearing. There's not a lot wrong with it. The chase Mm -hmm. scenes are so engaging and captivating. Like, I love... Even, like, the very small characters. Like, um... This boss is, like... Like, the family. Like, his wife literally grabs them immediately when there's, like, an issue and pulls them into the house and is like, get out of here. Like, go out the back. And, you know, this husband has this, like, barrel-chested, like, fight with this other man where they're just comically punching each other in the face over and over again. And I loved it and I was here for it. But even just these, like, really, really small side characters were so engaging and so interesting and, like, worked so well. And even, like, the humanity with these robots. I also really enjoyed that aspect as well because they didn't speak. But you still understood what Mm -hmm. was happening. Yeah, the back half of the movie is, like, stunning. When you get to the castle in the sky, like, all of that is just so beautiful to watch. I think, too, this movie is really fun for a kid's creativity because, like, that's something that, like, kids dream about is, like, this mysterious place. And, like, so the fact that you get to see it come to life, even, like, as an adult, it's, like, just really fun creativity. Creatively. 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 (laughs) Let's put an extra syllable there. Yeah to watch and um yeah i don't really have many complaints about the movie there wasn't much the ending felt good it felt tied up there wasn't much that i could say like i didn't really like about this movie yeah i agree so for my favorite character i picked um pazu Mm -hmm. i really liked both him and Sheeta, but i felt like pazu is so determined 
Like, he's going to do whatever it takes. One, to rectify his father, this impression of his father, because his father has this picture. He got a picture of, of the floating castle. He died with this, like, belief that he, it existed and it was real and people didn't believe him. And so his son, Mimpazu, wants to follow through. He wants to get there. But he also has such a, like, determination to support Cheetah and to protect her. And I really liked this dynamic between the two of them, but I really thought his character was really, really well developed and really well um, executed in this movie. Yeah. I also picked Pazu. I think just, like, the way that he, like, cares for Sheeta, the way that he, like, the way he just, like, interacts with all the other characters, too, I think is really endearing. And I just think that, I think, I agree, though, I think both main characters, you could argue the case for being the best. I think there's even some side characters you may be able to argue. Um, Dola. Fuck Dola. Love her. Amazing. And it was one of those movies where I had a hard time picking a favorite character, which to me is always a good sign. Yeah. Because that means you have strong characters. Right. So, yeah, but I picked Pazu. Um, so for best line, I picked, there's this old man in a cave. He's like imparting some wisdom on them. I can't remember his name, but he um, says at one point that the earth speaks to all of us. And if we listen, we can understand. So I thought that was a poignant line. Love that. My favorite line is Pazu. He's talking about the robot and he says he doesn't seem to be lonely. And I think too, just because in that moment, like both of the kids have experienced a lot of like loneliness in their life. And I think when they're standing there, like they both have each other. And so it's kind of shifted that dynamic. And so I thought like, it's like a simple line, but I feel like it has like a deeper meaning, which I always enjoy. Yeah. For my best scene, I got a weird pick. It's this him running up this tunnel with taking his shoes off to run up this ramp tunnel because it it's instilled such like a childhood joy in me to remember me wanting to do that. Like I saw this movie and I wanted to climb up a ramp barefoot. I have a very vivid memory that I like unlocked by watching it. And um, I just really liked how that made me feel, you know, bring out my inner child in me. In, ter- in a serious matter, I really liked this moment when there's, like, this swell of the music when they're, like, looking at the sky and they're like, we're gonna find it, you know, we're gonna find this, like, floating island, Laputa. I really liked that moment as well. Yeah, uh, my favorite scene is Shida and Pazu, they're up on top of the ship and mm-hmm. they're, like, just having a conversation and I really liked it because the music was really good and there was, like, this transition where they're talking but uh, Dola's, like, listening to them mm-hmm. through, like, a like a speaker like a gramophone almost right yeah and um i don't know i just really liked it it was such like a quiet like simple moment but i felt like it was really like impactful so for my favorite um ghibli moment there's this point where they have to go through the dragon's lair to get to the island which essentially is like torrential storm cloud situation and there's this scene while they're going through it that there's very like there's essentially no dialogue and it's really quiet but there's like this lightning this like purple lightning that like illuminating as like dragons and stuff and it was so cool like the animation was so interesting and so well done that I really really liked the scene and I thought it was really well done yeah that would have been my favorite but one of my favorite pieces like to listen to that's composed is in the opening credit scene that song is is uh, one of my favorites as well. Yeah. 
And it's a song I actually listened to a lot. So as soon as I heard it, I got really excited. I knew it was from Castle in the Sky because when I listened to it, like on Spotify, it always comes up with the picture Castle in the Sky. So I was like waiting for it. And then it like happened right away. And I was like, perfect. Um, For that reason alone, that was my favorite. All right. Now, Hannah, are you ready to move on to our third film? (sighs) I've seen this before. And I sent Hannah a message and I told her that she needed to prepare herself to watch this movie. Did you feel, did you prepare yourself, Hannah? No. Um, I watched this movie out of order. You did? Okay. I watched this as my last movie because I was in a mentally horrible place for a couple weeks and I was not ever prepared and I was like, I just have to watch it. That's fair. Yeah. So no, I was not mentally prepared. Okay. Mm. Okay. Uh, A third movie, Grave of the Fireflies. This movie is actually not rated. It came out in 1988 and was an hour and 29 minutes. It has an 8.5 out of 10 on IMDb, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It grossed $1.7 billion in Japan, $516,000 in the United States. Reason being is they only had a limited theatrical release in 2018 for this movie in the U.S. So there was a very limited time, hence why it's such a big disparity in the numbers. Also, I should point out for the numbers, box office in Japan, I did in U.S. Okay. dollars instead of, um, yeah, and just because they gave both and I was like, it's, That's fair. it's easier for me to gauge how much money that actually is. Right. So... It is a Japanese animated war tragedy film based on the uh, 1967 semi-autobiographical short story of the same name by um, Akiyuki Nosaka. It was written and directed by uh, Takahata. And it has critical acclaim, has been ranked multiple times as one of the greatest war films of all time. So the author of the short story said that many offers had been made to do a live-action film adaptation. The author kept saying no, argued that it would be impossible to create, and that, um, quote, contemporary children wouldn't be able to convincingly play the characters that were written in the book. So the author was surprised when an animated version was offered, and then after seeing the storyboard said that it was not possible for such a story to have been made in any other method other than animation. So, um, director had said that he was compelled to film the short story after learning about the main character. Um, explained that in any wartime stories, there tend to be these, like, moving, tear-jerking scenes, but young people develop a sort of, like, inferiority complex because they perceive people in wartime eras as being more noble and able than they are, and it tends to make the audience believe that the story has nothing to do with them. And so his mission from the start was to change that mindset. So most of the illustration outlines in the film are actually done in brown instead of a typical black color. Um, It was done to give the film a softer feel. And the color coordinator for the film said this technique hadn't been used before in anime before the film as it's very hard to blend in brown uh, with other colors. So critics in the West have viewed this actually as an anti-war film due to its depiction of like repercussions of war on a society. Um, The directors repeatedly denied that it is an anti-war film. And the initial Japanese 
theatrical release had my neighbor to hold on had my neighbor Totoro as a double feature. Yes. Which, <laughs> a little jarring. <laughs> when I go with my background about the movie, I can give a little more context about that because it, it kind of explained why they decided to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a note about the next movie, like how jarring it would be to go from oh. the end of that to the beginning of the yes. next movie. Yes, jarring. It was the only theatrical Studio Ghibli feature film prior to... From Up on Poppy Hill, to which Disney never had North American distribution rights to. And it's ranked highly in many animated film lists. Summary. This one I had to get on Google. and This was not available on HBO Max. Hannah and I um, obtained the movie and we watched it. There was a free version on YouTube. Yes, we found a free version. We, fo- we found a version to watch on YouTube. Very, very hard to locate. Which I actually didn't even end up using that version. Oh, you didn't? I found another one that was better quality. (laughs) See, I couldn't find one. I wanted to watch it in Japanese, but because the English dub is not 100% I found the Japanese You did, okay. Yeah. Glad you got to have that experience. Well, I was going to send it to you, but I watched it last night and I knew you'd already watched it. Yeah, I watched it like a week ago. This is the short summary that I found online. Okay. In the aftermath of a World War II bombing, two orphan children struggle to survive in the Japanese countryside. That was a summary. (laughs) Yeah. So I watched this movie maybe when I was about 19, 18 or 19. Um, I was going through a spree of just watching a bunch of foreign films. And I had heard of this film and kept reading about how great of a movie it was, how impactful it was. And I watched it once, and I vowed that I never would watch it again. And here we are, and I've been dreading this moment, but I'm glad we got to get out of the way early. It's interesting that people think this is an anti-war movie. I think this movie, if anything, is just unapologetic in how it portrays war, because it is, I have to imagine, incredibly realistic to what war is like. Um, It's especially poignant now because of ukraine but it is it's brutal it is incredibly brutal to watch this movie the amount of horrific things these children endure as well as just like these people the levels of desperation the fact that this movie starts with the main character dying Like, that is how the movie starts. You see him just, like, withered away in a train station. And then the movie goes to a flashback. It's, at times, really hard to stomach. There's a lot of really graphic imagery. That's not... It's not easy to watch. But I do agree that I think this is an incredibly important film to witness because of how impactful it is yeah i had never seen this movie i knew a little bit about it i didn't really know what i was getting into minus the fact that you told me you gave me a warning within two minutes i was like oh okay like this is i know now i understand why you said that yeah i think that it is It's kind of like a, almost like an animated 
similar to how I felt watching, like, Schindler's List. Yeah. Like, because obviously it's based off of true events. Right. And obviously, like, there's literally a war going on at this moment. So, you know it's, there's realism to it. I think that some of the scenes are very hard to watch. And I didn't really know what all was going to happen until I got, like, halfway through and then I started to realize what was going to happen. Yeah. I put the pieces together and I was like, okay, this is, you know, horrible, but Mm -hmm. it's also very, there's a lot of realist, realism in this movie. And, um, I think that this is a movie that I'm glad I didn't see as a kid. Yeah. Because I think... I don't know. I think it's important for kids to, like, understand things that are happening in the world, but I also think it's important for them to be almost, like, a little bit naive and to maybe not understand, like, all the horrors that happen. Yeah, I also think that if I had watched this as a child, I probably wouldn't have understood right, um, or felt how impactful it is. Right. Although I do think it's... It is important that these are children who are experiencing these things. You know, the younger sister is, I don't know, I think she's supposed to be four or something like that. And there's this really specific scene where she's burying fireflies and is like, I'm burying them like mom. You know, and her brother is not aware that she knows their mom is dead. Yeah. And that was very heartbreaking to have to see like the realities of that and on top of that the the mom's death is really hard to stomach because she's covered in maggots because they don't have a hospital she's covered in bandages and it's so the weather's so bad that she's just covered in bugs and died before she even made it to the hospital yeah that was really, really hard to witness. Um, I had to take a break watching this movie because I just needed to, like, decompress a little bit. It is um, incredibly traumatic yeah. for the people, you know, the fact that this is what a lot of people experienced and have experienced throughout war. A very well-done, well-told movie, but a very, very heavy movie that, again, I probably don't want to watch again. I'm probably content to not watch this again. Yeah. Um, Because it's, like, the first time was so impactful that I could remember a majority of this film, you know, almost ten years later. Right. Yeah. I think um, there's, like, such an emotional impact even if you can't relate in the sense of like being in a war and like stuff like that i feel like there was a moment when like um i know the the setsuko setsuko there's like a scene where he's trying to like that moment when you're like about to cry but you don't want to cry in front of like he doesn't want to cry in front of his in front of his little sister and he's like holding back like his emotions like that like hit me i was like i know that feeling like most people could relate to that feeling and like yeah yeah, i don't think it's a movie that 
I would need to see again. I feel like I'm glad I watched it just because it's one of those things where, like, I feel like it's good to see, not, like, in the sense that, like, you want to watch that, but, like, right. that's people's reality. That's what, you know, some people's, that's actually what happens. And mm-hmm. so, for that reason, it is, like, a beautifully, tragically told story. Mm-hmm. I actually think they handled it pretty well with how they did it. But, yeah, it's, um, it's a lot, and I worry that it will impact my rating ranking just because Because of of how depressing it is and because of how like part of my ranking is like would i rewatch this film right but i have to i'm trying to like you know keep in mind that like that doesn't have to be it but yeah i think that it's obviously just like a really tragic film there Mm -hmm. are some like really beautiful moments within the tragedy which i think is true to life in general but, yeah, overall, it's, like, a very... Sorry, I take it back. Um, Setsuko is the, the sister, and um, Seta Seta is, says the brother. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, yes. I got their names confused. Okay. Um, that's my bad. No, it's okay. But, yeah, I think that's as much as I wanted to say about that. Yeah, I think same here. So, for favorite character, I went with Seta. Seta. Seta? Seta. Yeah. I think that I I kept going back and forth between him and Setsuko. Setsuko, yeah. Setsuko. Mm-hmm. But I think with him, it's like the whole movie is just like him experiencing all these emotions and him trying to keep his little sister, keep her innocence and keep her naive even though he's aware that she's aware of stuff happening, but he's just trying so hard to, like, make sure she doesn't know what's actually going on. And so I think there's, like, a lot of admirable qualities about him and just, like, his whole thing throughout the movie. Um, The range of emotions he displays is, like, a lot of the reason I ended up picking him. Yeah. I So I actually went with Setsuko for this one. Um, For a lot of the reasons you said in that she is able to, for the most part, maintain this innocence, um, but then you also see, like, the loss of that as well as the story goes on, um, of her being aware of these things and um, having to process process them, especially at such a young age. Um, I can't imagine how incredibly difficult that would be, you know, um, to deal with, but I really felt incredibly... Um, moved by her characterization and also just like watching her deteriorate was incredibly difficult yeah. to watch someone basically starve to death. Um, yeah. Was really impactful, I think. Yeah. So, favorite line, um, I went with. The line is, why do fireflies have to die so soon? Yeah. And that line, like, really got to me because I feel like, especially later in the movie, it's, like, very, uh, like, it connects to the end of the movie, essentially. Right. Yeah. And so I think that moment, like, that, that scene, too, I think just for its, like, impact further on in the movie, like, that might have been my favorite line and scene combined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
not that I think it's like the best line, but I think a very impactful line is um, Seta when he basically finds out that the war, like they Japan lost the war, um, and that most likely his dad's dead. And there's this scene when he's like walking back, holding this picture, and just like says like "Daddy." I don't know. That hit me really hard. Just that line specifically, him you know losing everything essentially and that and and like i don't know i feel like another impactful was like when they like when he was like cremating her body um i thought that scene was really impactful as well and that's essentially like how the movie ends yeah uh favorite ghibli moment the scene where they're catching fireflies together um i just really like the colors and the music and again there was no talking it's just telling the story through the visuals and the music um it just felt like a really simple scene but also like that scene i remember like that's a scene that i would remember from that movie i picked the same scene as well i think that it is it tells all it needs to tell without words um which i think they're really great at um, as we said with a lot with Pixar, being able to express emotion and it can be incredibly hard to do that. And I think that scene does an, a very good job of showcasing this. A lot of it's the innocence, you know, the fireflies representing like this like loss of innocence and innocence and having a moment that is positive in all of this tragedy, I guess, yeah. is the way that I interpreted that, that I thought was really well done. But yeah, we're yeah. going to move on to something more pleasant um, because we go to where the um, titular mascot of Studio Ghibli comes from, My Neighbor Totoro. It was released as a double feature. It was released in 1988. It's rated G and it has a runtime of an hour and 28 minutes. So this film was written and directed by Miyazaki. This movie has two dubs as well. It was um, first done by Streamline pictures in 1993 and then it was redone by disney in 2006 featuring the fanning sisters dakota and Elle fanning as the two sisters in this movie and so we must have seen the picture the streamlined pictures dub because we watched it well before 2006 the version i have though um i hannah got me this uh, movie on dvd so i do own this this one the fanning sisters the original story was pitched as one sister, like one girl. It was just going to be a daughter. But Miyazaki couldn't find a way to make the story connect in the way that he wanted to um, in terms of figuring out how to um, move from different scenes. So he decided to take that character and turn it into two sisters, represented in an older and younger than the age he originally had her as. So I think um, May is like four. She's supposed to be four. And um, Satsuki is, I think, 11. It's like 10 or 11. 10 or 11. Yeah. So I think he originally had the girl around like seven or eight. So the um, Totoro mascot is essentially as prolific as Winnie the Pooh in Japan. It is a like one of the most well known mascots and characters, uh, as probably as prolific as like as Hello Kitty in the mm-hmm. regards to Japan. Um, so this movie has a lot of different themes that go with it. One of them being um, animism, anim, animism, which is essentially like animals taking on humanistic qualities. You have um, Shinto, 
which is um, religious uh, symbology in um, Shinto being um, a religion in Japan, and environmentalism. This movie has worldwide acclaim. It has made over $41 million in the box office as of 2019, and it has made over 1.14 billion sales in merchandising alone, which is a lot. So in total, the collective of film, merchandising, just everything associated with it has made um, 1.46 billion total in lifelong revenue. It's a cultural icon. It is rated 41 out of 100 in best films world cinema. Kazu Oya was the art director of this movie and had a big influence on the designs of Totoro, of um, the spirits, of the cat bus, of how these animalistic characters would be formed and would continue to influence um, Ghibli's like trademark style that would continue on throughout majority of these films. So yeah, this was released as a double billing with The Grave of the Fireflies. The reason this was done is because they didn't think that um, Grave of the Fireflies would would do well on its own, like as a standalone movie. So they decided to release it with a movie that is not even close to being in the same theme. If anything, it's like a real 180 in terms of like how this movie functions. So this film received the uh, Manache Film Award. I couldn't read my own running them. Kianma Junpo Animage Anime Grand Prix Prize, um, Best Film of 1988, Special Award, Blue Ribbon Award, which was considered a great animated film. Um, it has a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, 86 out of 100 on Metacritic, 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb. It has um, launched books. There's um, mini shorts to accompany the film. It actually um, has a stage adaptation that is currently running as of 2022 of this film. And the last thing I wanted to mention is that um, Miyazaki has said that this film parallels his own life as his mother was sick for nine years with spinal tuberculosis and spent a long periods of time in the hospital. And it's never directly said that the mother in this film has spinal tuberculosis, but it's heavily implied that that is what she's suffering from. So now I have the um, summary. When Suzuki and Mai, or Mei, move into their new home, they soon encounter strange and delightful creatures, including Totoro, a gentle forest spirit. Totoro takes them on a series of adventures in this deceptively simple, endearing tale. And I think that is very accurate, that it is a deceptively simple, endearing tale. Yeah, can I just say, um, can you imagine sitting in the movie theater, you've just finished crying your eyes out, watching what is arguably one of the saddest anime movies, and then all of a sudden it just goes... (laughs) Totoro. <laughs> it's like a musical at the beginning. Do, and I was like, do, can you do, imagine? Do, do, do. Um, yeah. I think out of all the movies from Studio Ghibli, this is the one that I remember the most, the one that I've seen the most recently, and the one that when we f- decided we were going to do it was like, I'm looking forward to this movie mm-hmm. because I love this movie. Yeah. I think that the movie is so... Again, heartwarming. I think that it's so simple, yet 
creative. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, honestly, any movie that has, like, two sisters, I always feel, like, a connection towards. Yeah. But I think it's, it's just, like, beautifully done. Yeah. There's so many aspects of the movie that I love. Yeah. It's interesting because I don't think I've ever watched this movie in Japanese before. I think I've only ever watched it in English. But you, I agree. I've seen this movie tons of times. We rented this many, many times from Blockbuster. I think of all the movies, probably this is the one we rented the most. The music is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's the first one that has like lyrical songs, I think. Yeah. If I'm remembering correctly, there's two. One at the beginning and one at the end. I like how much the personality the daughters both have, and they're both very individualistic in terms of how they are portrayed. I love their dad. Their dad Mm -hmm. is, like, one of the best parent figures ever. I love that he doesn't dismiss them when they're talking about May is like, I found this forest and I found this like cat spirit and he's just like oh that's great like he's like I'm glad that you like that's a big deal that means that you're you know that's we must pray to the like four spirits and stuff and is like so involved and a supportive father and I can't imagine how hard that is because he's a professor to both be a professor and a dad and have a wife and mother of his children like sick in the hospital yeah and the reason they're moving is to be closer to their mom and it's so simple but there's so many elements that work so well i love the cat bus like who the fuck just decided we should just make a bus but it's a cat but i love it Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite things from this movie. It also gets really depressing. Yeah. You are, for part of the movie, you think one of the sisters is dead. You think she drowned because they find a shoe in a river and you're like, oh no. They're like searching for her body. Yeah. And it is able to take a very serious matter, like having a sick parent and somehow make it not feel overwhelming. Or make it feel too dark. Like it feels yeah. like it still manages to feel very whimsical and heartwarming. And there's not a lot of negatives. I will say a lot of children screaming and crying. And I could really do without all that. But that's just, again, a personal thing I have against children. <laughs> yeah. In general. I mean, Totoro is also an icon. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Body positivity icon. Yeah, we love it. I think there's a lot of hope, even in, like, the darkness. Mm -hmm. Like, it never feels hopeless. It always feels like there's some glimmer of hope there. And I also think that, like, I really like that May acts her age. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of kids' movies, the really little kids they never feel like they're the age they are and i feel like she does yeah i agree with you i love the dad i love how he's like he never dismisses them he never is like oh that's not true like he's always supportive there's a part where like they're saying something about you know something's weird with his house and he's like that's great i've always wanted to live in a haunted house like he just is always supportive and obviously he's like you said he's going through a lot basically being like a single father while the mom's gone I really like the side characters. Mm-hmm. Can- Kanta? Kanta? 
Kanto? Kanto? Kanto, I think his name Kanto, is, who's yeah. the boy. I like his, like, grandmother. Mm-hmm. I think that, again, like, Castle in the Sky, it's, like, a very, like, creative, fun movie for kids. Like, mm-hmm. I would have loved to have, like, a forest tunnel magical place like what they had mm-hmm. and yeah there's a lot of i really like the colors in this movie yeah i don't know i just think that this story is really sweet i think the bond between the family is really heartwarming mm-hmm. and it just feels like a nice movie yeah like i finished the movie and i was like smiling yes if I had watched the movies in order, it would have been a nice break from Grave of the Fireflies, but... I had to, I waited a few days before I watched yeah. this one, too. Um, but yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I agree. I had to, in terms of best character, I'm always going to relate to an older sister more, so I picked um, Satsuki. I like... She... While she's still a child and she's still creative and adventurous, she still is very responsible and feels very, like protective of her sister but they also fight and very supportive and i really liked her characterization yeah i went with the dad actually i want i thought about picking the dad i just i like it because a lot of times dads at least in u.s like western culture are portrayed as like these like characters who never know what's going on and who don't like care and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and i like that he's like attentive i like that he is interested in what they have to say and is like supportive and allows them to keep their creativity right and kind of allows them to keep themselves distracted from like thinking about their mom yeah and so i just like that i mean he's not necessarily like in the movie a ton but i feel like every scene he was in i appreciated him being in that movie right i agree I don't have, like, a best line in this movie. Um, I really like the song in terms of, like, I did really like the line about the haunted house where he's like, I've always wanted to live in a haunted house. Like, I thought that was great. Um, But I didn't have any, like, poignant, like, um, scene, like, line that I had for this movie. I picked one just because I remembered this line, (laughs) like, very specific. Because I watched, I did watch this in English. Okay, gotcha. um, Because I had seen it in English and I was like, I'll just watch it. And plus I was trying to fold clothes and i was like if i have to That's sit fair. and look at the subtitles like i'm gonna get distracted it's kanta and he goes hey you in there your ha- your house is haunted and then just like sprints away and i like remembered that line like for some reason it stuck with me that's funny um scene i picked the scene where they like fly for the first time yeah uh when the huge tree grows and like just that whole scene, like, the music is really nice, and, like, the just the imagine the imagination behind that scene is really nice. I also picked that scene where they make the plants grow with Totoro, um, and then fly, like, atop. I really like the music. I like the whimsical nature of it. I like how simple it is. It's like they wake up, and they're like, hey, let's grow some plants, and then a giant, massive, like, 200 foot tree grows and we're gonna fly now and then they wake up and it's like oh our plants have sprouted yeah um i really liked that yeah i agree yeah uh favorite ghibli moment i have a tie okay between the bus stop scene because Mm -hmm. that scene to me is like very iconic yeah and the scene at the end where the cat bus where they're like flying and like running all over the place like to me that just feels so genius and like 
that feels like so specifically creative like the fact that they came up with that concept is wild but i love it yeah i ended up picking the um bus stop scene i i don't know why that scene works so well but them standing in the rain, rain in the rain, in the rain, waiting for their dad. They're just standing there, and it's so beautifully like shot. Like I don't know if that's the right word because it's animated, but it, the way the scene is framed and the music, mm-hmm. and then you just this cat bus shows up. Like that whole scene, I think, is so one. It's iconic for this movie and in general, but I think it's just like such a well done simplistic scene that like really sells what this movie is i think yeah all right all right move on to kiki's delivery Mm -hmm. service which was 1989 rated g hour and 42 minutes a 7.8 out of 10 on imdb 98 percent on rotten tomatoes 41.8 million in the box office and a 83 out of 100 on metacritic it's directed by miyazaki and adapted from a 1985 novel by Iko Kadano. Mm-hmm. So the film, or sorry, it was the first film released under a 15-year distribution partnership between Walt Disney Company and Studio Ghibli. Mm-hmm. And the English dub of this film was produced in 1997. Originally, they were choosing directors between Miyazaki and Takahata, uh, but at the time, both were busy working on Grave of Fireflies and... uh, Totoro. Yeah, correct. So they were both, like, tied up with those films. So Miyazaki accepted the role of the producer while they were searching for a director for this film. The director that was picked was Suno Katabachi, and that would have been his directorial debut... Okay. I say would because Uh. he did not end up directing the film. Mm. I will get to that. Mm -hmm. So the author of this book was reportedly unhappy since a lot of changes were made from the book to the film adaptation. But after a visit from Miyazaki, the author decided to let the project continue on. Miyazaki presented this screenplay in 1988 and at that point decided to direct the film as he felt that he had influenced the project a lot. Okay. So... Uh, the other director was not. Obviously did not direct the film. Clearly. It was originally intended to be a 60-minute film. They decided to make changes and make it a full-length film. Hour and 42 minutes. Uh, film production budget was $6 million and at the time was one of the most expensive anime films. In Japan, it was the highest grossing film in 1989. In 1998 is when it was, the English dub came out, and when it was technically, like, released to an English, or to the, like, United States. Yes. Um, it was the eighth most rented title at Blockbuster during its first week of availability. Probably the first yeah. time we saw it, I have to yep. imagine, yep. So, summary. From the legendary... Wait, what? Oh, from the legendary... Hayao Miyazaki comes the beloved story of a resourceful young witch who uses her broom to create a delivery service, only to lose her gift of flight in a moment of self-doubt. I haven't seen this movie in a very long time. So I actually rewatched this a few years ago. So this one uh, is pretty fresh for me. 
but I hadn't before I rewatched it. I hadn't seen it in a long, long, mm-hmm. long time. And what's funny is what I mostly remembered from the film is a trailer for the film that was on a VHS. Um, I think the Goofy Movie VHS had a trailer for Kiki's Delivery Service. And I have a very specific memory of the trailer to this movie. Yeah, I um, I didn't remember a lot from this movie. There were specific moments that I was like, okay, I do remember this. Did you watch it in English or Japanese? I watched it in Japanese. Okay, I watched it in Japanese as well. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, um, I felt like there were a lot of good themes in this movie. I felt like a lot of the things that Kiki's going through are very, like, relatable to people. Yeah. Like, feelings of, like, loneliness and, like, depression and, like, isolation. And I think, too... Like, self-doubt and and all those feelings. I think that it's, it's like, a fun movie. And I think that it's a creative storyline. I think the thing that... The only... Maybe my only complaint is I felt like middle to back half, it got a little, like, slow for me. It lagged a little bit, but I do think that the side characters were pretty good. I liked, I liked a lot of the plot. I liked the music a lot, and I liked the animation and the color style. I don't know why, but this one, I remember really liking when I was a kid, and I still really, really like this one. I think I like it because of how simplistic it is. Like, it's not complicated the plot is very straightforward it's very like um like slice of life you know it's not like um nausicaa where it's this huge like battle for earth story like it's this 13 year old witch going and trying to make her mark in a new city but i love like her spirit and like how she like loses her confidence and in losing and like having this self-doubt that makes her like lose her powers I like that she's challenged um, because it's very realistic that that people lose passion. Like the her friend who's the artist, like she's like, when I lose passion, I like go for walks and I do all these things to try to regain and find like this spark. Um, Because that's very true with a lot of like art and like creativity. And like, I mean, as we literally just got off a hiatus to take a break you're going to experience times of doubt and hardship that, like, might happen seemingly for no, like, specific reason. Like, that just happens. Like, it doesn't have to be something tragic, like a death in the family or this really great, like, heartbreak or loss. It's just, it just happens. Like, you just lose your spark and you lose, like, your your confidence. Um, And so I like that she has these these struggles um and i like that she shows up to this new city and knows nobody and is immediately like dismissed and is having a hard time and finds this like community that um supports her so yeah i don't know i really really like this and of course there's a cute little black cat named Gigi, and i also like Gigi as well yeah i um i think it's it's nice to see Kind of how I felt about Inside Out a little bit. It's nice to see, like, 
elements of depression portrayed in kids. And mm-hmm. I feel like this, again, like Inside Out, was like a relatively realistic way to display that. So I enjoyed that aspect. I think that that's one of those movies where since I haven't seen it in so long, I would like want to watch it again to see like how I feel about it. But yeah, I think that it is overall like it's a very well done movie. Yeah. It flows pretty well. And I don't feel like they included a lot of like filler. Yeah. Which I don't really like when movies do that. I felt like every scene kind of had a purpose and right. every scene and interaction like furthered the movie. So I like that. Yeah, me too. Although uh, the disrespect for grandmother's pies. Oh, I know. Heartbreaking. Uh, we we don't like that. Truly heartbreaking. So, yeah. Otherwise, I yeah, I really like it. I think it's um, it's simple, but it works. It's very effective. In the way it tells its story. Yes. Um, So my favorite character was Kiki. There were a lot of characters I really, really liked. I liked liked her friend um, in the forest. I like Asano, um, who's the the baker, um, and her husband. I really liked Tombo. I thought he was fun. The grandma who makes her this cute little cake. Oh my god, I wanted to cry. When she's yeah. like, I made you this cake. Can you deliver it to a girl named Kiki? And I was like, oh, it's oh like, God. it's so cute. My heart. But I love, well, one, her design is really well done. Like, she's just got this, like, basic black dress and this, like, huge bow. And she's so self-conscious about how she looks, which very fair for a 13-year-old. But also confident and ambitious and is like, I want to be in a city by the sea and I want to be in a big city and I want to make my mark um, and has these struggles and has this, these challenges. And I really, I really enjoyed that character. Yeah, I, I also went with Kiki. I think she, I agree, there's a lot of side characters I could have picked, but I feel like she's like very relatable and realistic and like the way she doubts herself and we've all doubted ourselves at some point mm-hmm. and in how she struggles but like still has like hope and i think she's like from start to finish the most developed character mm-hmm. because she's the main character yeah um but yeah i would agree i don't have a favorite line per se yeah did not pick one she says this line when she's sick and she's like am i gonna shrivel up and die and it's like how okay. realistic Same. for a, a child to be like am i dying <laughs> like i have a cold but for my favorite scene, I really... Do you hear a cat? I can see Asbury in the background. <gasps> ah! <laughs> Shit! Sorry. <laughs> I know. I was laughing and I was like, what is it? And she goes, no, I can see Esper in the background. And I was like, because <gasps> I didn't hear the door. And I was like, oh, God. Hello, <laughs> We're almost done. Oh, God. Sorry to startle you. I was, I was like, oh, my God. What do you mean, Esbury's in the background? I, just, I thought you were, like, in the window or something. And I was like, what's happening? Whew. Okay. Got my heart rate down there. No, I was just watching her slowly, like, oh shut the God. door. Oh, my God. No, I was, didn't even see that happening. Whew. Um. That's terrifying. Oh, I really like when she, like, arrives in the city... 
flies on our broomstick and is like everyone's staring at it you know Gigi's like everyone's staring at us and she's like it's fine and then immediately flies into traffic and causes a huge like accident and back up and then like runs away and cool this is where we're at in life yeah my favorite scene too is when she's flying into town like there's like a song that's playing during that that I really liked Mm mm-hmm and I felt like it was, I forgot to say this in the background, but the town was supposed to be representative of, like, a fictional town in Europe. I got the impression that yeah. it was supposed to be in Europe as well. And they, um, the crew, like, the people who made the movie, like, traveled to Europe, like, some areas in, like, Switzerland, I think, to get, like, inspiration. There was a red and white flag at a yeah. period, and I was like, I feel like that's a Switzerland flag, so that makes sense that that's the influence that they went for. Um, but I just really liked that whole beginning just the, the visual and then like like you said like just like her kind of like having this horrible start in a new place um i really enjoyed that scene yeah um so for the best um ghibli moment i really like when i can't remember what the name of the thing is it's a um it's like a zeppelin but it's called something else oh um they called it something else yeah, i didn't write it down but... i didn't either but it's basically like a like thing that blew up the hindenburg yeah. It's basically like that, like a huge Zeppelin thing, and it's basically there's a helium disaster, and um, Tombo is, like, hanging on a rope, and so she's like, I gotta, I gotta save him, and there's, like, this moment where there's, like, there's no sound, it's just silence, where she's regaining... You know, she's tapping into her spirit. She's like, I got the confidence to fly again. Let me take this old man's broom and I can do it. And I just thought it, like, worked really, really well. Like, the fact that there was no sound. It was just silence. Like, a good ten seconds where you just are, like, focused on her. And I thought that worked really well. Favorite Ghibli moment I actually went with, I guess, multiple scenes. Anytime that Kiki and the grandmother were interacting with each other. That too. Oh, heartwarming. Yeah specifically that scene you mentioned where she like makes the cake like that was just really sweet and like i felt like those small interactions like made the film that much better um so i would just say any of those two interactions yeah that is the end of our first episode like pixar this is probably gonna be five episodes long a ghibli jubilee but not in july because we're not releasing it in july yeah We will be back with more Studio Ghibli, but in the meantime, we do have our email, r3podcast at gmail.com. We have Instagram. We have Twitter. If you want to tell us your favorite Studio Ghibli movie or anything about it. Yes. If you've been to the museum in Japan, tell us about it. Yeah. Or if you went to that museum in Ohio called Kosai and actually saw a replica of the cat bus, which for some reason is there. Let us know, because I always yeah. thought that was weird. But that's life. But it's how it is, you know? But yeah, um, thank you for listening, and we will be back. Bye. Bye. We would like to thank Joseph McDade for our intro music. He provides free music available for all kinds of creative use. The song that we used is called Sunrise Expedition, and you can find it and his other music on his website, josephmcdade.com. If you would like to reach us, you can email us at r3podcasts at gmail.com. That's R, the number three, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram by searching research rank repeat. Also, are you hiding someone behind you in the closet? <laughs> it's just like the, 
the the actual panels look like they're sticking out like oh it's close like there's someone hiding back there no i shoved all my clothes back there i see okay i have to clean my room i'm doing that later fair that's fair 